Leadership isn't for the faint of heart. It's dirty, dangerous, difficult, and disruptive. It will test everything about who you are. Unfortunately, as a leader, you're out front, which means you usually only get about 43 feet of good road built for those following behind you while you're running the race yourself. Welcome to the 43 Feet Podcast, where each week you'll hear from some of the greatest leaders we can find both in F3 and beyond. If you're going to lead, you'll need to be ready for the difficult challenges, for what lies ahead in the unknown, for what's lurking in the next 43 feet. Uh, welcome back to another uh, episode of 43 Feet, uh, a podcast about leadership. Uh, as always, uh, my name is Frank Schwartz, um, and uh, you know me in the gloom uh, as Dark Helmet. And uh, we're, we're discussing uh, leadership topics, things that are relevant to F3 Nation. And speaking of relevant to F3 Nation, of course, uh, as you well know, the 10-year celebration is coming up in October, uh, which is kind of exciting. Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff planned for that. Um, some kind of cool speakers and uh, some some really interesting breakout sessions and different things that are going along there. So if you haven't had a chance to register yet, go ahead and do that. Um, get yourself together and, and get down to what we estimate will be the largest uh, F3 party to date. Uh, and we've had some big ones. Um, but this is this celebration, man. This is, uh, you know, it's 10 years of, of bringing uh, what we try to do uh, to unlock men, unlock leaders to the world. Uh, and in the last 10 years, Really, it's funny because just in the last year, uh, we've seen incredible growth. Uh, we see ourselves in Kenya, uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, we've had two different places in uh, Australia open up, uh, Sussex, England, Dortmund, Germany. And this is all within, you know, COVID actually, whereas a lot of places I think got shut down by COVID, you know, since we're free and <laughs> and outdoors, like, eh, you know, everybody kind of kind of came out of the woodwork. And so here we are, and we're celebrating all that uh, in October. So men, if you haven't uh, registered yet, do it. Uh, and of course, there's many, many, many other things going on. And as you are listening to this, that means you're probably involved in the F3 podcast world. And so you will hear the F3 COT podcast featuring my boy, Hello Kitty, uh, Brian Jodas, and he will bring you news of the nation with his co-host Rapido. Um, and, uh, and so you know, make sure you tune into those things as well. All right. But that has nothing to do with what we are going to discuss today. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, and actually I, I got introduced to this gentleman uh, through Hello Kitty, um, I, I'm really, really, really excited to welcome Philip Stutz uh, to the podcast today. Uh, Philip comes from the cutthroat world of political marketing, which uh, <laughs> I, I think the only thing probably maybe more cutthroat than politics itself probably would be uh, political marketing. Uh, in, my, in my estimation. Um, he's been doing this for over 20 years. He's worked on uh, countless uh, different uh, campaigns and uh, contributed to over 1,400 different election victories, including uh, three U.S. presidents. Um, so he kind of knows the game uh, of political marketing and also corporate marketing uh, on a very, very high level and, and what it's like to kind of to battle it out, you know, in that, in that very competitive arena and, and big budgets and, and kind of have that sort of win or die uh, mentality. And that's something obviously that we strive for uh, in F3 is to sort of have that same kind of, you know, get it done no matter what uh, sort of mentality. And so I'm excited to talk to him. But uh, the other thing uh, about Philip is that he, he kind of has a, a, a very uh, interesting road uh, to get to where he is and kind of uh, you know, finding purpose and, and different things with his work. Uh, and that's part of what we want to talk to him about today. So, hey, Philip, thank you for being with me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, Welcome. let's start out. And um, so, I guess Brian Jodas goes by Hello Kitty. Is that his nickname? That, yes, that is his idiot F3. Okay, so, so Brian worked with me for years, and in, uh, I love him to death. But a long time ago, when he was working in politics, he got nicknamed not Jodas, which is his last name, but Jodice. So just know, everybody <laughs> out there Italian. listening... <laughs> They need to start calling him Jodice, which is what we all call him now. Every time I refer, like, yeah, how's Jodice? Uh, you know, like you know he has conveniently forgotten to mention you know, ever well, that one. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. leading off with a with a two run homer right off. The <laughs> That's really good. Oh, so uh, gentlemen in in uh, the Carpex area, Carry Apex area, uh, feel free to rename him from Hello Kitty to something like uh, we think like Leg Lamp. Right. Yeah. It's Italian. It must be Italian. Or name it yeah, major right. award. Jodice. Like, <laughs> that's too good. Oh man. Well, now that we've got that uh, squared away. Yeah. So uh, Philip, you know, in your bio and, and we've talked obviously that you've been you've been at this marketing game for a long time. 
Um, and even though that's kind of always been something that, that you've done and, and, uh, and obviously done at a very high level and been very, very successful at, some things have happened in the last few years that have sort of caused uh, things to take a little bit of a turn, uh, I guess, maybe in your focus on how you did it and, and why you did it. Is, is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's an understatement. Yeah. So uh, why don't you kind of catch us up, uh, I guess, sort of, you know, start, start a little ways back and kind of tell us kind of where you were. And then what was that sort of some of those catalytic events that, that changed? Some yeah. I went to a Tony Robbins. I, I got into Tony Robbins back in 2015. I was 41 at the time. And uh, I'm not, are, are you familiar, Frank, with with all the Tony Robbins stuff at all. Indeed. Okay. I'm, I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a, a, a disciple, but I am a fan. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan too. And, and at the time I, it, he was the perfect vessel for what I needed in my life. And I remember I was driving from new Orleans to Birmingham, Alabama in between seeing clients and listening to a podcast with him and Tim Ferriss. And I just remember pulling over to the side of the road and, and I mean, I knew who Tony Robbins was, but I didn't know. I mean, I knew he was the guy that sold the tapes on TV in the eighties and nineties mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But that's about all I knew. And then I, I listening to this podcast, it was like in 2000, it was in 2014. And I just like literally jaw dropped and was like, geez, this is everything I'm looking for right now. And I said, I don't, I don't care what it costs. I'm signing up for something. And I, I literally pulled over on the side of the interstate at a rest stop and, and I wrote a $10,000 check to go to business mastery because I wasn't quite ready to get personal mastery a, a shot, but I get, I could do business mastery. So he has sort of a business course um, and it was like in Palm Beach with him and I wrote a $10,000 check. Uh, to go to it. And that really was the launch of everything for me. I, I feel, I feel, I, I don't know what order I was supposed to go in, but my, my life and my process is my own order, I guess. So I did that first. And then I ended up doing some personal programs of his uh, one called uh, unleash the power within. And then I did, um, I did a, a program called date with destiny. If you've ever heard of date with destiny uh, or maybe you haven't, right. It's a six day program with Tony and about 3000 people. And it goes about 17 hours a day and you don't have any sleep. And it's the most earth shattering moment you'll ever go through in life. So if you're really at a, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's for anybody and everybody and wherever they are in life. But for me, I was in, you know, pretty, painful spot. I just didn't, didn't like who I was, didn't figure it, realized I wasn't where I needed to be in life, in my personal life, didn't know why. I think we all feel stuck sometimes. And I was stuck. And when I got unstuck going to business mastery for my business and exploded on the entrepreneurial front, literally in January of 2015, and, and have not stopped since then. But on my personal front, on the personal life and my marriage and my father ability to be a father and my just own life of, you know, figuring out who I am, um, I, I was pretty still lost. And so I, I did this date with destiny. And I remember um, it was like the fifth of the sixth nights and it was about two in the morning. And there was a moment and every day there's like a you, you peel a, a layer of onion of your own life out of this program. And you're like, Oh boy, I do that. Okay. I got to change that. And then the next day it's like, Oh, I realize I'm this guy. And then the next day it's like, Oh no, I'm this person. And like 99.9% of people will never under undergo anything like a self-examination like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful for it because uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was going to walk into, but by the fifth, the, about 2 a.m. on the fifth day, I realized it hit me all at once. And by the way, my wife went with me but at this program, they split you up. And so you're in basically groups and different teams, but your wife is not with you. And that's kind of a good thing because you don't have that energy next to you and you can actually do a lot of self-exploration mm. anyway. And so I'm sitting there at two in the morning and I realize it hits me that I'm the cause of all the problems in my own life and that I had been blaming everybody for everything forever and ever and ever. And it was a pretty low moment at about the same moment that I came to this conclusion. My, I look over across the room cause it's about 3000 people. And I see my wife and she's standing on her chair, screaming freedom. And she realized <laughs> that like, 
she wasn't the root cause of all the problems we had in our marriage uh, or with everything. Right. Yeah. And that was a pretty defining moment for me. I, I think when looking back on it, it could have gone one way or the other. And the other, you know, first of all, if I hadn't have done a program like that, definitely would have gone, we would have been divorced by now, 100% chance. Having done that program, we both realized we got a lot of work to do. And if we want to make, have a, if we don't want to break up our family, then we're going to have to do a lot of work. And frankly, I was the one that's going to have to do a lot of work too. Um, and so that started the journey for me. And when I say the work, you're going to hear, you know, you, you, and before we jumped on the recording, you said something, yeah. what you, you said, the, what would you call your work? Uh, the grueling work. The grueling work. Right. <laughs> it feels so, yeah. So I mean, yeah. I, you know, and I said, Hey, you know, that th words mean things. And when you call it grueling, it makes it look awful, but I'm just as guilty of that for the last six, seven years of my life. I've gone, Oh my God, it's so painful. This sucks. But the bottom line is, is that I was leading a very unconscious life a very meaningless, purposeless life. I was going through the motions. Uh, um, I was, you know, I almost say I was the worst kind of narcissist. I was the, not the kind that told you how great I was. Right. I was the kind that blamed you for everything, blamed everybody <laughs> for everything, and uh -huh. then took all the credit when things went right. That is the, the worst. <laughs> I think if there's, on the, on the totem pole of narcissism, this would be on the bottom, that's, right? And that's, that's basically yeah, that's who I was. <laughs> And, you know, basically you have a choice. Do you want, you know, you modeled the behavior from people in your past. And do you want to break that cycle and live a joyous, conscious life? Mm -hmm. um, that's always going to have challenges. Always. I am sure. still trying to figure this damn thing called life out. There is no way that I've, I, there've been a couple of times, right. Where I, I, my, I went to my wife and I go, Oh, I got this. I got this. And then, you know, <laughs> whether it's God or the universe or whatever, you, you get pick, slapped right? in the face and you go, Oh no, no, I don't. No, I, and, I and so I think if anything I've learned through 2021 is just the amount of humbleness I have for the journey I'm on. And that, I'm always going to be working to be better, be a more thoughtful human being. And really, and I mean, I can go through all the different layers of this. I mean, since that conference, the first thing I did was I, you know, you would think I would go work on my marriage. I actually didn't. I worked on being a father first. So I came out mm. of that and became, uh, said, I'm going to commit to being a great father. Um, at the same time, being committed to being a great um, entrepreneur. And then I said, well, I've got to fix a lot of family relationships. So I focused on that after I, in terms of your, your family, like your, yeah. your family of origin kind of thing, family of origin. Right. Yeah. And so I worked on all that. And then, uh, you know, about three, four years into it, my wife goes, Hey, when, when are we working on us? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I, it wasn't that I was like terrible or anything. It's just, no. You know, I mean, uh, Tony actually has this quote. It's great. Like, if you want a successful marriage, treat your marriage like it's the first month you're dating again. And that always rings true to me. Like, am I treating my wife like it's the first month we're dating again? Like the first month, I mean, I'm on fire. I'm planning oh, dates. Yeah. I'm making surprises. I'm sending her flowers. All in. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just, it's like the, it's like the roller coaster. I, I'm at the bottom of the roller coaster now going, ah, like what's for dinner, you know? <laughs> and like, that's no way to go through life. So like, and then I went, you know, you're right. And so we started working on each other and we've done that for a couple of years. And then probably, uh, about a year ago. So we're talking, you know, September, 2021, excuse me, September, 2020, I was just in a bad place again. And I couldn't figure out why I made all this progress. I, I feel mm -hmm. like I'm a committed and loving father, committed and loving husband. Um, I'm proud of what we've built in my businesses. I feel I have great relationships with a lot of different people with boundaries. That was one of my problems, no boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so people could take advantage of me. And so, mm -hmm. um, all these things, but something wasn't quite right. I got back into therapy cause I've been in therapy and we talked about this before, but you know, I, we can kind of go through my therapy journey cause it's kind of fascinating, but I say, give them a high level on that. I feel like going to all these Tony Robbins things with a form of therapy. I got a therapist. I was in therapy. I was with, with a, you know, a psychologist for years. And then I, uh, up my game and <laughs> I got into psychedelic uh, therapy. So I was mm -hmm. on, I've done uh, MDMA, which is basically ecstasy with a therapist and with my wife in the room. And then and it's a long process. Not like I'm dancing or listening to music. I'm <laughs> I literally say, have a blind turn on the rave on. music and then you yeah, invited a bunch of at all. It's actually very, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's literally about to be, it's illegal to do, but it's about to be legal 
Uh, they're in the third clinical trial stage at Johns Hopkins University, and they've been treating mm. um, uh, war veterans with uh, MDMA to overcome PTSD. And let me tell you, it freaking works. And then I went back and I did MDMA and I stacked it with LSD. That was um, <laughs> the only reason I did that is because my that's ego. Not, that's why not? No, yeah, just... my ego is so strong, and I don't mean uh, like in the you know like like, like I yeah, have just yeah. a strong ego. I'm an a Type A personality. Mm-hmm. That the only way to sort of melt that ego and get into the psychedelics and go through the the process of what that was all about was that you have to take a little, you have to take some LSD because that will wipe your ego completely out within. Take, like takes all the barriers. seconds yeah, out, right? Like all the walls, minutes. all the everything you put up, right? Right. Gone. But then I got, so I did all that and then the pandemic and we got through the, you know, most of the first part of the pandemic, but something just wasn't right. I didn't feel good. Got back into therapy. And, and then I realized probably by January of this year, I, I don't love myself. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Mm. And mm-hmm. I hear I've done all this work, right. On my business, right. on my daughter, on my wife, on my fam, my origin family, all that stuff. And you know what? I forgot all about me. <laughs> and that's the I truth. love all you people and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to do really well. And then oh, I realized way, I'm, I'm really not going to be the best husband and father, yeah. business leader or family member. If I don't love myself first, it's not a selfish thing. I have to love who I am. And only then am I able to actually truly love and give to others. If I, if I don't love myself first, then I'm actually taking from others and not, and not what do you mean being by that? a giver by that. What? What do you mean by that? What do I mean by what? That, you, that, you, that you're taking from others if you're... Yeah, I'm just getting my needs met. When I'm, mm. For whatever reason, whatever I'm doing, whatever action, it's actually just to get my needs met because I don't love myself. So I'm trying to fill that void with other people's love, with other people's uh, actions, with other people's reinforcements, instead of just being comfortable and loving who I am and going, yeah, that's who I am. Love me or, or don't love me, but this is who I am. I actually do. And, you know, and so I, I've worked extremely hard over the last nine months to just take a break and understand what I need to do to find that I love myself. And part of that is in my activities in life, probably like a lot of what you guys do uh, at F3, right? Uh, That is for men. Like uh, what I love about that is that's for men to do for themselves so that they can provide for their families. It's very Mm -hmm. similar, right? But for me, it's uh, hunting and it's doing activities outside. It's being in nature. And it's actually, you know, I I realized the, sorry, I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but what I really realized was, um, that I have an addiction issue. Okay. And it's not alcohol and it's not drugs and it's, it's, you know, it's not uh, porn. <laughs> it's not sure. anything like that. My addiction is distraction because I don't want to face my own demons or my own self or look at myself from the inside out. Mm. I don't want to be in my own feelings because I'm afraid of what that will show me and what that will reveal. And so about April of 2021, just a few months ago, I was at a, I'm, I'm in an entrepreneur group that is called Front Row Dads. And it is, it is about, it's about uh, family men that own businesses, not businessmen that have families. That's, mm. that's the motto. And it's about how do you become a better family man as, an, as a business owner and entrepreneur. It's a great group. And, you know, what I realized, you know, coming out of that was, um, you know, I have this, I have an addiction. I don't have, it's not, you know, I, I, I have often wondered, man, I'm addicted to alcohol. I don't drink that much. Right. But I was right, like, am I addicted right. to alcohol? Like, a, what is it? What is it? What it is, is even me going to the gym was uh, a, an addictive quality that I had to distract myself from just thinking my own thoughts and checking in with myself and, and feeling mm-hmm. through my feelings, which my, I actually had to ask my therapist, I, I keep being told I need to feel through my feelings. I don't know what that means. I literally said, I don't know what that means. And I didn't help. Yeah. And, and I now do. And, you know, I mean, I carve out maybe an hour to a day now where I turn off everything in the middle of the day and I live at the beach in Florida and mm-hmm. I leave my office. It's a five minute drive. And I just walk out and I go sit on the beach and I stare at the ocean For an and hour. I don't, I don't have any, electronics on me and I just have to walk down the beach and I have to sit there and I have to stare and I have to check in with myself and I, I have to love myself 
which is something I've never given anything. I've never given that to myself. So what do you think? Uh, I mean, and, and without getting, I mean, it's, we're not in therapy here, right? So, you know, deep as you like or not, <laughs> is everything therapy? Maybe it <laughs> Maybe is. It is. Um, but uh, so I don't want, I guess what I'm saying is don't, don't answer anything you don't feel comfortable, obviously. But um, the reason I ask it is because I think there's a lot of guys who struggle with a similar kind of thing. Um, what keep, what kept you from, from wanting to love yourself? Like what, why, why the fear? What was happening? Like why, why? I that... mean, that was all unconscious. I don't know yeah. until I became conscious of it. And then you have a choice. What are you going to do with it? Right. Yeah. Are you going to yeah, just yeah. shove it down and bury it? Like you've done all these other things in your life or are you going to deal with it? And I guess, you know, one of the, if I was to tell you one of my core values in life is just growth, like growth is painful, but it's also very rewarding. And I cannot sit still and just be okay with life. I have to know that I'm growing into something else and that I'm growing into something bigger. And I don't mean like growing a business. I mean, like, am I creating a space that, you know, I want to, I want to be 80 years old, Frank, and go, I have no regrets in my life. Mm -hmm. I have no regrets. And, and, and I, I don't know many people in their seventies and eighties these days that, that have, they say to themselves, man, I have no regrets. I, I yeah, think the generation the of that, that generation, and it's not their fault. I mean, it's just the way the world worked. Think about, I mean, the, what they were raised on from World oh, yeah. War II to the depression to all that. That's their parents, right? And so we've, we have so many more tools at our disposal to work through these problems that we have, these these uh, addictions or whatever it is that we have, we have so many tools and you can do something about it or you don't have to. And I just, you know, I can't live with myself if I don't, if I recognize the problem and I don't do anything about it. Yeah. In, in our, uh, in F3 parlance, you know, the, those guys that have kind of, I don't want to say given up all the way necessarily, but certainly those guys that kind of hit that point where they're like, I don't know what to do next. And they're just kind of grinding through, just going through the motions and living without, we call them sad clowns, you know, where, where you put on that happy face, you know, on the outside, but inside you're, you're dying. And, um, and, and so Tony Robbins obviously helped, uh, that that's clear. Right. Uh, and, and doing that uh, date with destiny and, and going through that, um, that program. There's some other things though. Uh, and I don't know if you want to get into it or not, but you also are, have, have taken on a pretty lofty goal, uh, uh, of attacking something that has, yeah. has yeah. changed your, oh, yeah, your life in a pretty dramatic way. Yeah. Just that, you know, little, just something little that, that came up in the last little bit. Yeah. Right. Um, t- tell us a little bit about kind of what happened there when, where was that in the timeline and, and how has that even further shifted? Yeah. Uh, what your, your, well, yeah. So about 10, about 11 years ago, I was, uh, in my kitchen in Washington, DC. So I was living there at the time and I, um, I was eating cereal in the morning for work. And for some reason, I just felt like it was just hanging out. Like I couldn't get it down. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And eventually more and more of the things I ate felt like they were just sticking in my esophagus because I couldn't figure out why. Went to doctors, took about 18 months, finally got a diagnosis. And the diagnosis was that I have an, a, a rare what doctors call is an incurable disease and it's called achalasia. It's an esophageal disease. Basically the nerves and the muscles in my esophagus are dead and they'll, you know, doctors tell me they'll never work again. Right. And so that was about, that was 10 years ago that I got the diagnosis. And so what do we do? And this is pretty relevant to the times we're in right now with COVID and vaccines and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff what do you do when the doctor says you have an incurable disease here's your medication you know you need to get on board with my plan and all that stuff and so of course yeah i mean my god uh frank i was being treated at the mayo clinic right like yeah the mayo clinic right (laughs) so oh from 2012 to 2015 i had about 18 minor procedures on my esophagus. I had three major surgeries on my esophagus. The last surgery I had in 2015, they basically cut 25% of my stomach out. They used the, the cut to wrap my esophagus up and staple it together 
they, they basically put a wrap around my esophagus and then they stapled it all together. So it would stay in place because the esophagus had, over time had curved. So not only was the esophagus not working, but food was just pooling at the it's, bottom. It really the, was catching. And it was, yeah, yeah it not only was, you know, water couldn't get it down. It was just hanging out and uh, it's almost looked like a J and, um, and th that makes me very susceptible to esophageal cancer because it'll eat away mm -hmm. at the esophagus. So I said, Oh, well, gotta do that. Well, here, try this surgery, you do it. Nothing weren't, you know, try this surgery, nothing more. It wasn't to, by the way, the surgeries weren't to cure it. The surgeries were literally, they would take a scalpel and slice my esophagus from my throat to my stomach to just open it up so stump food could fall in. It also makes me like with acid reflux, you can imagine it, if I'm way wide open right now, yeah. like it comes in, you know, like, it, you know, so, so they said, well, to combat the, the uh, acid reflux, we're going to put you in a lot of proton pump inhibitors. So, you know, the um, Prilosec and all that, you know, the, those kind of drugs. Right. But now they've come out and said, Oh, by the way, <laughs> These acid reflux medications have long-term de dementia properties. Like you can get dementia by wearing it because when, when you take a pill that kills all the bad acid in your stomach, it also kills all the good acid in your stomach. And, and therefore, and you know, they're, they found links. And by the way, I'm, I, I might as well have gotten a, a PhD in medicine over the last <laughs> years. But, but, you know, there's, um, you have the vagus ner vega nerve and the vega nerve connects your brain to your stomach. And when you're killing all the acid that your brain needs, the good acid, um, you're creating problems for yourself down the line. And there've been studies on this and all these things. So, you know, eventually um, I was at the Mayo Clinic in 2000, at the, in the fall, about this time, 2016, so about five years ago. And I, you know, walked in and the Mayo Clinic doctor who sees 50 patients a day. Do you think I'm any different in his eyes? No, just, just, the, just the next and guy. I'm just the next guy. And he puts everybody in a box because he's got to see 50 patients a day. And I don't grudge him for it. That's just the reality of our medical medical system now. I mean, I, you know, it's I'm, this whole thing with COVID not to get on a tangent. It's, it's laughable to me because you're, you're basically grouping everybody in together when that's not exactly what's going on, but I've seen this, I lived it. And so, um, you know, basically he, you know, I went to him and he, and I said to the doctor, the Mayo Clinic doctor at the time, I said, well, I just had my third major surgery, you know, and I know you say it's, it's not, there's no cure here, but like, what are the long-term prognosis for me? And he said, Philip, you really can't have another surgery. You've had too many. And this wrap that's stapled together, it'll come undone one day, yeah, five to 10 years. And when that happens, we're probably just going to remove your esophagus, connect your stomach to your throat and you'll be able to down liquids, but food-wise, you'll probably have a feeding tube the rest of your life, five or 10 years. I mean, as fun as that sounds. It, yeah, I know. It does. It sounds, it sounds like a big party. Um, yeah. And so uh, I looked at him and I went, well, you know, that didn't, that didn't really work for me. And he kind of laughed like, <laughs> okay, well. What, yeah. what I appreciate you what you're saying, do? but that's the answer. And he yeah. said, Philip, take your medication, the one that has the dementia effects I was taking more proton pump inhibitors than many people do in a week or a two week period. I was taking mm -hmm. per day. I was taking hundreds of milligrams per day because mm -hmm. I was having so much acid reflux. And he said, take your PPIs and we'll see you in six months. And he pats me on the back. And that was, and I drove home from the Mayo Clinic and I went, I, I don't think I accept this anymore. And I, I don't know what that means, but I still don't know if I accept this. And so I, I figured give, I had give me to the, give me the date real quick on that. Oh, this is Rough. September, September, 2016. Okay, perfect. And so I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I had to figure out something. So I went, uh, by the way, this is kind of funny. I had been diagnosed in 2011. This was 2016. So I had it for five years. I never Googled accolade the name of the disease. <laughs> I mean, that, that's how much I just outsourced. You're just like, my, okay, whatever you say, health. man. Yeah, yeah, but I just outsourced it to doctors. And I, I mean, why wouldn't you? It's the Mayo Clinic, right? And then all of a sudden I realized in that conversation, that guy's not, it's not, he's not a good person. He's just not looking out for me. He sees 250 people a week with the same condition or a different condition or some kind of esophageal issue. And he just basically like, take the pill, see you later. Psh, take the pill, see you later. Psh, next person, take the pill, see you later. That's what he's doing every single time. And I said, I don't, that's not what's good for me. I'm going to, 
like, I want to have a long life. I want to be with my family. Like this is, these are the, the things that are important to me. And so I said, well, I don't know. I got to figure this out. So the first thing I did was Google. And I found that in the 1990s that uh, they thought that stem cell treatments could help accolade, cure accolation. This is 90s. That had not been nothing that's, since that's like 90s. Yeah. Way like, long been, it had been almost 20 years and there'd been nothing, no research, no nothing on my disease. And so I was like, all right, well, that's curious. And I just kind of put it in a box. And then I said, you know, the other thing I need to do is get my diet in order because it doesn't work for me to take these, uh, these proton pump inhibitors anymore. I, I want to get off of them. I don't know what it takes. Yeah. I know that I'm 10 times more susceptible to acid reflux than the normal person because I have literally the bottom of my esophageal sphincter is literally cut wide open. So acid just comes up and down whenever it wants. But I had to figure that out. And so um, it, it took about six months and a book came out by a guy named Dr. Stephen Gundry called The Plant Paradox, it came out in 2017. And I heard him in a, in a podcast interview and I went, holy cow, that diet speaks to me. That, that's what I need to be on. And so I got on his diet and within three months I got off PPIs and I have not taken one since. Um, and I mean, obviously every single year I optimize my diet even more. So I'm, I do uh, almost 250 different blood tests every year. I do food sensitivity tests. Um, I'm, uh, I'm on a pretty close to keto diet, but a lot more, it's everything's organic, um, and, mm -hmm. and on and on and on. And I, I mean, there are foods that you would think are like vegetables that I'm completely, uh, allergic to. And I didn't know it until I took a food sensitivity test. And then six months later, I may not be allergic to it anymore because my body has changed. And mm -hmm. so I'm constantly optimizing that. And I got that in order and it's something to work. It's like everything else It's a work in progress. It's not always easy. You go to a restaurant, it's almost impossible. But now I found supplements that I take that kind of act in the way a PPI would, except they're not, they're good for you. They're good for you. So they're, yeah, they're going to cause dementia long-term. Right. And I also take about 85 supplements a day. Um, now you can imagine when you take 85 pills a day and your esophagus doesn't work, it takes about two hours for those pills to get down my throat. So I have oh, to feel cow. that traffic jam for about two you hours. Go, uh, every maybe you should day. go suppository. Maybe you should switch it up. And no, no. It could be easier, actually. It, it may it be might, a little right? easier. Right. But no, I need yeah, to do it because I know what I'm deficient in and I know yeah. what I'm efficient in. And I know I need to take supplements to overcome those deficiencies and also treat a lot of infections I have in my gut that I already know I have because I have spent, you know, hundred thousand dollars to understand my body. So again, right, let me go, right. go do a sidebar. I, I mean, I have a deep understanding of the way the world works right now with COVID. Everybody's different. Everybody is, is reacting differently to COVID and every doctor in the world is trying to throw you into one box and say, everybody is going to go to the do hospital this. if they don't do X, Y, or Z. Like yeah. I, I get it. Like, and I'm not a denier. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not anything like that. I'm just saying that I've, I've lived this experience. And it's frightening to me to see people that just go, you know what, we're just going to put everybody in the same box and then you're going to, and it's going to save you. And it never saves you. It was leading me to a path of dementia. It was leading me to a path of having my esophagus removed and all that. So, but anyway, all right, I'm off my soapbox. So that was the diet part of this. But about February of 2017, I go to this business conference uh, with Peter Diamandis who started uh, the X Prize and um, he's business okay. partners with Elon Musk and he's on stage. Perfect. Yeah. And, um, and he's, by the way, he's coming on my podcast in about two weeks. So I'm super excited, but That's I'm, awesome. on, I'm on stage with him and uh, I'm not, I'm not on stage, but he's on stage and he, I'm at this business conference and he says, everybody pull out your notebooks. And he goes, I want you to write down something that's a moonshot, something that people say is impossible in your business and you're going to make possible. And I went, mm, that's not my business. My moonshot is something else. My moonshot yeah. is, and I wrote down my notebook, I'll find a cure to this disease in five years. That uh, was February, 2017. And then one of the things that Peter says on stage is like, take one or two actions when you leave this conference immediately. So you get some momentum behind your moonshot. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote an article and no one ever knew I had the disease. I mean, maybe five people in my life. Sure. And so I wrote an article in Inc. Magazine, and in the article, I proclaimed that I would find a cure to the disease in five years. By the way, a, a disease that there is no cure. There's no cure, and, yeah. 
the Mayo Clinic. Last time fine. I checked, uh, I'm I'm not a doctor, and <laughs> you know I always say the 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 ignorance of an entrepreneur is kind of a beautiful thing because I mean you 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 know we get an idea yeah. in our head and we're just gonna go well so we'll figure it out, and so um uh, I wrote the article I actually got it caught ironically enough got caught in a Google alert by a researcher at Johns Hopkins who has worked on the disease for 20 years, we were connected. Uh, he said, what, what, what do you plan to do? And I said, I don't know. I read this article and from 1998 about stem cells. And he goes, what's funny you mentioned that because I'm trying to figure out a cure. And I think that that article has meaning and I'd like to pursue that. Maybe you and I should pursue it together. And I said, I'm in. So that was again, probably was literally like two months after I proclaimed the moonshot. Right. I love it. So we're talking like April of 2017 and all of a sudden we got into this wild ride where we um, put a team of about 35 doctors around me. We petitioned the FDA, we petitioned Johns Hopkins to let, uh, to try this trial. Um, it took a long time in, in the fall of 2019. So two years ago, I went back to Hopkins and they extracted um, stem cells out of my thigh muscle Mm -hmm. They took them to a lab and they grew them. And in February of 2020, right before the pandemic, I went back to Hopkins and they injected 250 million stem cells into my esophagus to try to regenerate the muscles and nerves. Now, this has never been done on an animal. It's like a clinical, this is like three You're steps the guinea pig. for a clinical trial. I'm absolutely guinea pig. My doctor yelled at me not to say that because like, apparently it's, you know, he doesn't that want to be bad like, Sorry, yeah. Peter's going to come in. Right. But they're like, there's a lot of risk involved, right? Yeah. They don't know the risks. They just know it could be bad. There's no, I mean, they, they've never done it on an animal. Um, this is like, I'm just the guy and I, you know, I had to sign my life away to try it, but then they like, do you, you know, like literally they're about to put me under and like, you you have to verbally give your okay to do this <laughs> last chance last chance yeah yeah no they did last yeah. chance they said this last chance you've got to say it and i'm like i'm good let's go and um then the pandemic hit and i was supposed to go back in like may of 2020 and do a lot of follow-up tests and see what happened that didn't happen yeah. but i ended up going back in august of 2020 and i kind of already knew the answer which is it didn't work, it didn't work. and um, and so I went back and, you know, they did all the tests and they're like, yeah, it didn't work. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can kind of tell I can't eat and there's no functionality. <laughs> and, nothing's so, I mean, changed. You know. yeah. and they said, well, we can do this one more time. Do you want to do it one more time? They said, but this time we're going to, um, we're going to insert five to 600 million stem cells into your esophagus. We're going to put them in different spots and, you know, we're going to try this again. We believe it'll work. But we, you know, you got to sign your life away and blah, blah. You got to get FDA approval and you got to get mm -hmm. the Hopkins approval. It's got to go through all the same hurdles and all that stuff. That was a year ago or actually 13 months ago. And just yesterday, uh, it got reapproved again. And then we're going to go in the middle of September back to Hopkins, my wife and I, and they're going to insert the 600 million stem cells into my esophagus. So we're going to try it again. And that's the last wow. time. So if this one doesn't work, I'll go to plan B, which I already kind of know what's going to be. But, you know, I, I'm grateful for every day I have, Frank. And if anything, this disease, like I, I often say this and I mean it with all sincerity. If you took me back to 2010, 2011, and you said, hey, Philip, you don't have to have this disease. You can have a normal esophagus. You get to live your life. And what happens, happens next. You just go. I would take the disease. I would not give it up because it fundamentally that makes no sense. Tell me it, why. it changed my life forever. How? Because people don't make change until the pain is too great. Mm. And I've had a lot of pain, whether it be through my business or my family or myself or my health. And the pain got really great in 2016 with my health. And I had to take control of it. And it's a metaphor for whatever happened to the rest of my life forever going forward. It made me realize that every day is precious. It made me realize that sometimes on my worst days, they're really not the worst days. And, and if they, the worst thing that ever happens to me is I'm on a feeding tube at 50 years old, then, and I still have the love of my daughter and my wife, I'm pretty lucky. My best friend 
one of my best friends um, has ALS and he's 50 years old. Mm. He's got a four-year-old son and that's, that's bad. Yeah. I, I don't have that bad. bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are things I'm going to have to deal with in five, 10, 15, 20 years. I'll deal with those one step at a time. No, no reason to get overwhelmed, live every day and be grateful for the day that's in front of you. And I don't think I ever would have thought about like that in the past if, before that disease. And it woke me up a lot. I think, I don't think I would have gone to that Tony Robbins event if I hadn't, didn't have this disease. I don't think I'd be um, a flawed husband or a flawed father if I didn't have this disease. And I definitely wouldn't have loved myself if I didn't have this disease. And so the disease is actually the best thing that ever happened to me even if it's a pain in the ass neck esophagus <laughs> um that's uh, that's pretty profound and you know and some of those things you said i think get people bandied about you know and it almost gets a little cliche where it's like oh you know this is really and i live every day what like but you mean that like the, people people who say that sometimes i think aren't didn't necessarily face the really a, a completely insurmountable task you have no i mean what's insurmountable nothing's insurmountable but, but, but i'm saying uh from the time you sat there in that in that meeting and mm. wrote i'm gonna find this mm. this cure mm. right that, i mean that's ridiculous right from from the perspective it, it of it is ridiculous well, it's, for it's sure. ridiculous yeah yeah and so when i say insurmountable uh, yes Given enough time, enough resources, enough whatever, nothing's mm -hmm. insurmountable. Sure, but it may not be surmountable in the time frame and in you know or whatever that 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 you have. You know, I don't know, right? Maybe maybe it will, maybe it won't. But you're giving me that look. Look at that look. What's what? that look? Tell me that look. I don't know. <laughs> like that is the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. No, I mean I don't know. Like my story is my story. Right? You know, and a lot of the interviews I do, they're like, "What advice do you have for others?" Like I don't know. Like I don't know. Everybody's <laughs> got their own man. story. Everybody's got yeah. their own issues. My issues are totally for me. You know, and I, I think what I hate in this world are the people that like, you know, trying to constantly give everybody advice on how to live. Uh, their life, whether it's like, hey, here's how you make more sales and grow your business or here's how to be yeah. a great husband. And like, I, I just think it's it, we're in this BS world right now where everybody's just trying to get their needs met and they want to be praised and they want to get likes. And I mean, I, I like sharing my story, but my story is my story. If someone learns one thing out of it or if it affects one part of their life, that's cool. But I don't have the answers for everybody. And yeah. I just know that I got to be the best I can be and I have to love myself first and then I can be better for others. No, I, I love that. And that, in fact, that's very much the way that I, I tend to look at things as well. And that is the sense that it's like, cause I tried for a long time in a similar way where it's like, I've got to have answers. I've got to, you know, I need to know what's going to happen. I need to know mm -hmm. what's going on. I need to be, you know, a guy who I can be relied on and, and who mm -hmm. can help people and all this kind of stuff. And what'd and you I, do? Uh, well, I failed a lot and then, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I ended up in, in the toilet over that. And uh, not literally, but you know what I mean. Um, and uh, and I think, you know, where it comes around to is at some point you go, you know, the experiences that were given, and, and correct me, if, I, I want to see if you feel similarly, the, the experiences that were given are given to us, not so that we have some kind of great new insight to share, but that so we can, uh, so that we don't waste the pain that we've been blessed with, that we've been given. Uh, so that people can look and extract their own meaning. I don't need to tell them the advice. Right. You find your own advice. And yeah. like, you just hear their story and you go, oh, okay. I, uh, based on what I've heard, I think I know what to do next now. I think I, 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 think I know a path yeah. to take, or I think I know the feelings I want to have or, you know, sure. whatever it is. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately life doesn't happen to us. Life happens for us. And I think that's a, that is not my line, but it is a line I think about. It is line. now. Yeah. Put on the t-shirt. my point is, is that if you look at my disease and I go, why did life do that to me? Life did that for me to learn something, mm. you know, and it's hard to know in that moment that it's for you. It's real easy to say, have a catchy slogan. That's nice. <laughs> but you know, if you know, well, this happened for me and I'll figure it out. I just have to sit in whatever I got to sit in for the moment and, and yeah. until I figure it out. 
And the other thing is whenever you're the most frustrated in life, it just means you're, if you're willing to do the work, then you're about to have a big breakthrough in your life. And I mean, that's just been consistently what I've found on everything. I was going to say that is the absolute, I, I too have found that. And I, and I, I think we, we don't talk about it enough uh, as, as men and well as people really, but where you get to that point where there's something inside you, I think that knows you're on the edge of something like something's about to go down. Something's about to change. There's something profound happening right now. And I think a lot of people end up shying away and kind of closing that door and going, I, 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 I'm, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to, I'm going to watch more Netflix or I'm, you know, right. whatever it is. Right. And just kind of checking out on it a little bit. And then, and they get, and, and I think that's where that feeling of stuck that you mentioned earlier, you know, I think that maybe that's where that comes from is it's, yeah. it's you're stuck because you avoided it. You, it's right. stuck because you, you ran pushed it. Down. It's not, yeah. Nobody, nobody dropped something on you. And now you're stuck. Like you jumped into the crevice and now, now you're yeah. stuck. And the question is how are you, if you're unconscious about it, then you've got to do the work to figure out what, what did I do? Where did that behavior come from? Where's the originality of that behavior? Because it's going to keep getting stuck and pushed down if I don't just address the behavior, but address where it came from, the origins of it. That's yeah. where the psychedelics come in. To be clear, we're not endorsing or not endorsing. We're just the story. Uh, yeah, right? Again, that's my story. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you, you had to go there. And, and so to, to your point, though, whether it's psychedelics or whether it's therapy or whether it's self-reflection or whatever the thing may be, right, you're going to have to you have to figure out a way to, to destroy all those walls that you've built around and uncover those things that are, are deep and uh, yeah. yeah, deep in there. Interesting. So let's fast forward uh, just a little bit. Well, I say fast forward, but good heavens, it's present day. Uh, two weeks from now. From the recording of this podcast, you're going to go in and have stem cells injected in the neck. Yeah, and uh, and that's kind of where we are. But th that's where you are in your health journey. But in your in your your business journey, I mean, you you did all these political campaigns. You helped presidents get elected. You've done all these. You've been wildly successful, and you were chasing something. And, and it, then it shifted. Is that fair? Like you were, you say you were kind of, you were like chasing success and you were, you mm -hmm. were on this track of, you know, this is what I think I'm supposed to be. And then you kind of hit this, this catalytic event, this, this critical moment where things kind of, you know, turned around uh, partially the disease, Tony, mm -hmm. which led you to Tony Robbins, which led you yeah. to, you know, some of these kinds of things. And so now what would you, when we were, uh, we were talking right before we started recording, like, now it's it's less about I got so and so elected or I got this business because because you you still run a marketing business right mm -hmm. multiple ones yeah yeah right uh big big win I got right? win big media and win go big. big media sorry yeah. win big go big of course what, what am I stupid big I'm, win big win big go <laughs> big big go media yeah anyway and um and and you kind of developed. Um, some some tips, some some structure around this because you're still in the business of marketing, but it has a much more missional element to it now. It, it's it's more about what you were put here to do. It seems as we've talked, um, rather than just like, hey, what can I do to get another check? Is that is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a, like, again, uh, I'm a purpose driven person and the purpose for me is growth more than anything else. I want to see other people. Would you say growth. though, that was, was it growth, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago? It was always in me. I just didn't know it. I, that's mm. who I am authentically. Yes. But was I a grower then? No. Oh God. No, yeah. was that's not a, yeah. at all. I was, I spun myself in circles and in, in not understanding who I am and then just trying to falsely be someone else. And by the way, you know, when, you know, that person that you go, why do they act like that? And, but that person that thinks to themselves, I have to act like this. So no one sees my flaws. And then everybody else is like, do you see those flaws? They're so <laughs> easy to see. Like, they are all over you. <laughs> that's yeah. me. Yeah. That was me. Right. Um, I, I, overcompensated hoping people didn't see my flaws i did it unconsciously but i did it and mm -hmm. um, everybody saw it so i wasn't very good leader and i very definitely wasn't very successful 
in the way I, I could have been. Uh, I did a lot of cool things and did a lot of, helped a lot of people, but I didn't do it for that reason. I did it for myself. And I think now, you know, I just changed that. The mindset kind of changed a long time ago, which was like, well, what do I need to do to serve others and grow? You know, like, I mean, like we have, you know, I, again, if everything's about growth, like we have two values that are our companies, uh, give and grow. That's it. We don't have some long mission statement on the That's wall. It. It's just give and grow, give more than you take and always be growing. That's it. And it fundamentally is around everything we do. Are our clients growing? Are the people that work here, are they growing? Are they growing out of their job? Are they growing into another job? Are they advancing into this company? Or how are we advancing as better human beings? Like, what are we doing to, when we wake up a year from now and go, God, I can't believe the man or the woman I've become in the last year. Like, that's what I get lit up about. And it's so funny. The, mo the most I get lit up on is when someone on my team comes up with an idea or develops something that I never thought of. Mm. Like that is like my, my favorite thing in the world where like someone says, Hey, I thought of this idea and you could see their face light up because they didn't know they were capable of coming up with an idea like that. But hopefully we create an environment where we encourage everybody to, to think clearly, to think independently, to come with ideas to the table. It may get struck down nine out of 10 times, but if you can have one come through and it's a great idea and it helps the company grow and it helps you grow in this company and it helps our clients bottom lines are, you know, as we're marketing them or winning elections for them, there's nothing like that feeling. And so for me, that's really, it all comes down to, to growth. And I think it's a, a giving a giver's nature too. Mm -hmm. If that's the mentality, it's not like oh, I need to grow and no one else like, no, I want everybody on the growth ship. Now it doesn't mean that it, it's for everybody. So the people that work, work sure. for me, um, you know, some people come in and they go, ow, man, <laughs> I don't, I know growth stuff. It's right. hard work, it you is. know, and, they, and then they head on and that's okay. Cause that's yeah. their journey. And I'm okay yeah. with that. Like, I don't begrudge anybody. They got to figure out their own journey, but the people yeah. that are wanting to grow, the people that want to live, um, an incredibly purpose-driven life. Um, I, I just want all those people working here. Uh, so can, I can apply right. anytime. Which I'm ready to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, and would you say now, and I don't, you know, we're not here to, to necessarily to talk books or, or that kind of thing, but you have written a couple. Yeah. Um, and, and your latest one, which I think is, has a great title. Uh, I mean, we call it the undefeated marketing system, right? That's the, the title, but I, I love the subtitle, which is how to grow your business and build your audience using the secret formula that elects presidents. Now, who doesn't want that? Right? Well, apparently Facebook, because Facebook banned <laughs> my book. Are they, you serious? Yeah, Facebook banned my book. Um, and uh, we, we actually uh, won and got it back on Facebook last uh, in, in March. But they banned it uh, at the end of 2020. Like the book came out in April of 2021. Uh -huh. And we ran, uh, I had a couple different book covers. So we decided to do some, some testing on yeah. the book covers to see what people click through like on. You and Facebook said that the book cover was trying to influence an election, an election that had already happened. This was in De December. And so, yeah, so uh, they well, banned. He and then we appealed that, the ban, so. we appealed the, the ban. And then they, they literally came back eight hours later and said, no, you're trying to, that's a business book. This is how business book about how, how is what they're saying. You market your business using this yeah. formula that we do to like presidents and how every Fortune 200 company is doing all these successful businesses are doing it. But you got banned, and then so I have a little bit of a platform. I've done yeah. a lot of TV appearances and I had a lot of contacts, and so I decided, yeah, let's go, let's yeah, go let's raise a ruckus. <laughs> and uh, and so I did, and I I wrote an article about it, and Fox News picked it up, ran a big story on it, and then uh, a publication. Um, called the Federalist is a national publication. Oh, yeah. uh -huh. um, asked me to write an op-ed, and I actually found um, nonprofits and um, charities and other uh, authors who also got banned for crazy, crazy idiot, reason, idiot, yeah. idiot reasons. And um, and so I told that story, and then it got national coverage. And then when that article came out, the next thing, within like a week of that article coming out, Facebook lifted the ban. It was like, oh, you're good, you're good. You oh, can, you huh, can run. You figure. can run your. You can yeah. put your book up now. It's not an yeah. election. That's hilarious. But yeah, we had to we had to raise a little hell to get uh, to get them to change. So how do you feel like uh, 
what you teach in that book and what you talk about in that book, how is that filling like living out the mission and how, like, where, where is your purpose in there? Well, what people, any kind of business owner doesn't understand right now or nonprofit leader or a marketer really, um, is that the, the, the marketing world is rigged against them a hundred percent and they're going to spend money and lose almost every single time. And the only people mm. that win, um, in marketing and the marketing economy today, like if you're going to market your business, the only people that really win consistently are the fortune 200 companies. And they're, you know, I, I, I liken it to the, this, uh, Frank, marketing today, it's like going to a casino and gambling. The house always wins in the house, the big tech companies, you're going to pay your money to the big tech companies, the streaming services, the Facebooks, the Googles, the YouTubes, all those things. And they're always going to make the money. And you may get a hot hand every once in a while and, and, and you may get a couple new clients. Oh, I nailed it. Yeah. I nailed it. And they, but eventually you're going to lose and you're always going to lose more than you win. And so I wrote a book to say, how can I help small business owners, marketers, nonprofit leaders? How can I help them win the game of marketing with whatever they're marketing every single time, no matter what rules change in the marketing world, whatever, you know, here's a great example. I, this is a great story. Can I, you got two more minutes for me? Absolutely. Of course. So we do work for a national background check company. So this is kind of like, uh, okay. they, they, you know, like a McDonald's or Burger King hires them because they, they have so much, they're hiring so much new labor every week and right. they need to do background checks on them. And so they came to us and said, Hey, we want to utilize this undefeated marketing system. We really like it. We haven't been doing that. We've gotten fired a couple of marketing agencies. We can't figure this out, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And we said, cool, let's go. I said, well, let's audit what you're doing first, what you're already doing. And before we make any recommendations on how we're going to proceed. And we went into their system and we realized they were spending about 10,000 ads, $10,000 a month on um, Google keywords and SEO. But Google changed the rules about three years ago and their marketing agency and the company and the marketing team within the company didn't know. And so they had been bidding against themselves on their own keywords and overpaying by about $10,000 a month against their own keywords. They were bidding against themselves and they didn't know and they've been doing it for three years. So you're talking Shocking about- that Google didn't call and say, you They know. did call, but there, no, oh, no one was on top of it because Google changes the rules every month. They change yeah. different yeah, algorithms. Yeah. They change different things and no one can keep up with this. And so it's not, yes, they, they, if they had a smarter marketing team, they could have caught it. But the fact is, is that 99 out of 100 business owners don't go into business and go, I can't wait to market. You know, right. they go, no, I want to, I want to, you know, sell a widget, but and I don't want to spend money on marketing. Like that's just kind right. of the natural oh, yeah. default. And so my point is what, what kind of system could be built out there that would help a business owner, a marketer, a nonprofit, or anybody that's in the marketing game that helps them win no matter what that keeps them on top of the rule changes, but also markets in a very empathetic way that's not trying to trick the customer, but trying to be empathetic to the customer and break through the clutter of what Forbes now calls that we are seeing up to 10,000 ads a day online and offline. And so if you're, if you're trying to market your company and you think you're gonna break through 10,000 ads a day, and you think, you know, let's say you're selling microphones, because we're looking at them right now, you're not competing. Your ads aren't competing against other microphone companies. They're competing against t-shirt companies, hair care product companies, Yeti, and coolers, every other everything, 10,000 other yeah. ads. And so you've got to figure out what's the system. I, I like to say this today, the, the successful companies out there don't treat marketing as a hobby, but as a professional systematic application. And that's what it is. And so what we decided to do was treat it like that and write a book on it. Well, we had to prove the theory. We spent years proving the theory that every single business that followed this five-step formula could grow their bottom line. And it worked. And every single one that we, every business we've worked with has. And in fact, we have three clients right now. We have a, uh, we only allow 10 clients at a time, but we have three clients right now that, um, that have, have had the best months in the history of their companies. One company is 107 years old, one is 41 years old, and one's 28 years old. And so all they did was follow the formula. And so I wanted to teach that system. Mm -hmm. and, and we've done it with Fortune 200 companies. We've done it with startups. We've done it with small businesses. And, um, and that's, works. yeah, it works. Super interesting. Super interesting. So, so hopefully that's helping them grow. Yeah, I was going to say, and so really, you know, one of the things I love about that, because I, I feel like I have a similar uh, mindset in terms of my, my mission and what I'm trying to do too, is that is, you know, I, I'm not the guy, I don't build widgets. I don't really know anything about widgets, you know, and I don't really have any 
overly uh, great attachment to widgets, but I really love people and I really want them to succeed at the things that they want to do. And I really want them to be good at what they do. And I really want to help them to, you know, achieve what, because the world needs widgets, no question, but I don't really think about that. Sure. But I do know how to help you get motivated to build better widgets. And it sounds like that's kind of what this is about. Is that a fair? Yeah. I mean, the approach is actually like this. That's what you want to do. Good. What if you knew what those people you're out in the market to find, what if you knew everything about them? What if you knew what their fears were, what their values were in life, what social media platforms they were on in a chronological order, Mm -hmm. what magazines they read, like specific ones, what TV shows they watch? Because I can, I can tell you that with with the way we look at our systematic approach, I can tell you all those things. And then when you go to talk to them, yeah, I always tell it like this and in um, entrepreneurship, we, we, we have a founder story you know, the founder story. We love to tell our founder story. I love it, man. It's fun. Let me tell you how I started something from nothing. I'm so fantastic. I bootstrapped this thing from nothing to something, (laughs) you know, but we love to tell it. What if you found out from the people you're trying, your potential clients you want to bring into your funnel? Mm -hmm. What if they only cared about 25% of that story? Would you continue to talk about the 75% they don't care about? Or would you optimize the 25% and make that what your new pitch is. I guess it depends on how much money you want to waste bidding against yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. So my point is that that's what we're trying to find out. It's an empathetic yeah. way of saying, what does the customer care about? What does the client care about? And then, you know what? It needs to, I need to find the alignment between my vision and what that customer or client wants. And that's what's going to give me exponential growth in the business I want to build or the business I want to market. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, kind of last question. Okay. Um, just, just to sort of, think of and that is if i'm a guy who is listening right and i say uh all this sounds nice but right Mm, um the but the but right Mm. how how do i how did you get the confidence or was it really just the was it just the pain that put you to a point where you're like it's time for me to to lean in because you're, you, on paper, you look like a guy who has everything going, you know, like it's all going your way, right? And I know you got a lot of struggle in there. We've talked about it here today on the podcast, but I guess how, how do I, as a guy who's trying to figure this out, not, you know, a guy, right? Asking for a friend, right? Um, but, uh, and then say, how do I get the confidence or how do I get the, the, the guts to lean in and, and to start following? Because this had, what you're doing right now shows up that this is what, this is who you are. Right. I mean, this is, this isn't the thing that you're doing just to make money. This isn't a thing that you're doing just, I mean, you can see it in your face the mm-hmm. way that it, I mean, <laughs> you, you turn on when, when you start talking about it. It's awesome. So how, how do I do that? How do I lean into that? Well, let me give you a Tony Robbins quote. And again, I, mm. I don't know how you lean into it. I just know how I leaned into it. Fair. Right. How did you but lean into the, it? The Tony Robbins quote is the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably tolerate. And I would tell anybody that that's the key of life for me um, is, am I making a decision right now to protect my certainty? Or, you know, I mean, there are a lot of decisions I make as an entrepreneur, as a father, as a husband, where I put myself out on the ledge. And the reason I do it is because my whole life I've been, has been based on fear. Like, don't, don't do these things. Don't rock the boat. Don't do anything, you know? And I force myself to do what's uncomfortable for me. Mm. Being uncomfortable is uncertain. Yeah. And so yeah. I try to live in a state of being uncomfortable. Working out at five in the morning on a Saturday is uncomfortable. Getting, hearing that alarm clock after a hard week of work, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So how do you apply that uncomfortableness? But by the way, if you ask anybody in F3, right, is it worth oh, yeah. it at the end of Saturday or whatever day you're out, you're all out working out, let's just say yeah. Saturday. Every day, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Just- is it wor- <laughs> was it worth it that I got up before work this morning at four right. in the morning and worked out? Was it worth it? Yeah. Why? Well, you, had to go through one, you had to be uncomfortable first. Yeah. Why would you subject yourself to that? Right. Well, that's- because that's of the way it makes you feel when it's over with and what you've accomplished. Yeah. So, you know, they don't, I mean, look, uh, nothing, there's no free ride in life. I've certainly learned that lesson. 
And so the, the only way to have happiness or success or all that kind of stuff is you're going to have to learn how to live uncomfortably. And that is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably tolerate. <laughs> right. No, I love that. Yeah. And so you, you know, for everybody, that's, that's just what you've got to answer in your own head. I mean, I've yeah. had to answer it in my own head, the one, my own way. And a, and a lot of it was revealed by pain, too much pain. Yeah. And so, I mean, even I mean, again this year, like, I was like, God dang it. I'm in, I mean, I'm, I'm waited until I'm in a lot of pain to make this change. Yeah. We're all, I'm always going to do that. And I've really learned in this whole process, just how humbling it is and how take it one day at a time, but make yourself uncomfortable and always try. I mean, I loved putting myself in physically uncomfortable positions and doing triathlons 12, 13 years ago and, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, I have a, I have a muscle there. I did it when, with my physical abilities, maybe I should do it with my diet or my marriage or my fatherhood or my business or my own health. Right. So, or my diet or whatever. Right. So yeah. that's just the way Everything I, I kind of comes on the, on the other end of uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 And like you said, no free rides and no arrivals. Now, that's another thing you kind of hit on is you, you, there is no place for you to go. <laughs> no. Oh, done. no, you know, it is. I, it's such a cliche. It's like, it's, it's not about, uh, you know, where it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. You know, <laughs> you know I, why? I, Cause there's no freaking destination. Uh, there is and, only I, journey, and I just you know? I used to hate that. I'm like, no, yeah. I actually, I love the destination. Like, what are you talking about? But I do realize that a lot of that, that a lot of it is, um, what, what, what is my journey? Am I enjoying the journey? Can I, how can I make the journey enjoyable? How can I make it fun? Yeah. Because it really is the journey. It really is. Now I need to, I can't, I got to make it the destination. I got to make the journey, the feeling of the destination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I love it. Uh, Philip, uh, truly, uh, thank you. Inspiring. Well, thank I you, really man. I, I love man. what you guys are doing. And I know you've taken a huge leadership spot and you're getting paid, uh, I don't know, millions and millions of dollars to do it. It's not easy. And yeah, to yeah accept and, uh, all that cash. Yeah, your private jet and all that <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah, you're yeah. telling me about. And uh <laughs> you know I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, uh you guys serve a, a mission bigger than yourselves and you're trying to help yeah. other people. And it was an honor. I honored if I could show my story and if it helps one person, that's awesome. But um, I think it will. You know, thank you yeah. for all you're doing too to help other people in their lives. All right, brother. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there 43 feet at a time.